Welcome to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. We're really glad you're here. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, join us on the journey. And blessings to you all. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for your faithful service. And thank you for your commitment and covenant in social justice. I picked this uh, scripture and wanted to follow up on some of the teachings of our former moderator, Jordan Cantwell. Jordan preached this sermon many years ago while I was a student minister at Musquachis. Musquachis is at Samson United. And so she came there, had communion with us, and also spoke about this scripture. And what the scripture means to me, when Jordan Cantwell shared, is that we as settlers, we as indigenous people, have much work to do. Like Paul and Silas in the prison, and the jailer, we are dependent on one another. We are dependent on survival. More importantly, Jordan shared with us that our healing is dependent on one another. So as you think of the parable, the scripture, the teaching that we hear today, the jailer could have killed himself, yet Paul said, wait, none of us have escaped, we are here. Then came the true translation, the true interpretation of communicating with one another. I think we are at that spot today between settler and indigenous people. What must I do to be saved? We look to creator for guidance. The scripture speaks to us over many centuries and still we're confronted with choices today. What choice will we make as we enter the road of reconciliation? What is in our heart? How will we meet the future? So the actions of Paul and Silas and the jailer are very important important to remember. As I read the scripture, toward the end I saw something very peculiar, and that was an apology. As you see, the initial act of Paul and Silas was to pray for a young woman who was filled with a spirit of divination, and she was healed, and so They were put into prison for healing and saving this woman. Reminds me of another saying that no good deed will go unpunished. So as we walk forward in our reconciliation walk, we will make mistakes. We are human. Only creator is perfect. So as we live into reconciliation, There's many teachings 
that we can learn from this parable, from the scripture, from this story. The peculiar thing to me at the end was Paul waited for an apology. What does that sound like? An apology. And how do we live into that apology that is before us today and confronting many denominations? The papal apology for me opens up a table. This table is a table of healing. It is a table of ecumenical work. In order to do the work that we must do as denominations, we must be open and hear one another. Today, we come together as United Church and we also have a guest speaker that I'll introduce shortly. So as I think of the scripture and the reading, what work do we have to do as United Church people? On the coast, where I represent and work with a number of churches, we have created a fund, a fund for the unmarked graves. We have also created that same fund to address reparations. So this is some of the work that we're doing. My work on the coast will be to deal and to lead discussions and to most of all, listen to communities. How, what do we do with the unmarked graves? This will be before us for the next few years. So we must be patient, we must listen. We must also receive God's grace. The tour of the Holy Father will be here shortly. And so as a denomination, what will we be called to do? How will we live in to apology? I think of Alberta Billy, our precious elder from Vancouver Island that was just laid to rest last week. Alberta Billy called for the apology just like Paul and Silas called for an apology. It was the right thing to do. And it's one of the reasons why I'm proud to be with United Church. Two apologies have been made, one for colonization in 1986, the other apology in 1998 by your own dear Reverend, the very Reverend Bill Phipps, the, our late friend, our late leader. So I think we have a lot to build on. I think there's a lot of opportunity to come together. And I'm thankful for the work that the United Church is doing. Indigenous people also are challenged to do the work that they must do for healing. I think combined we would be able to do 
and achieve many great things with Creator's help. That is a simple message and maybe something that is challenging to live into. And this is what spoke to me today. Yesterday we heard from the moderator. We have seen the movement across the country of dealing with indigenous issues and concerns. So how do we live into that apology? And so even though 2,000 years have passed, the teaching and the story of Paul and Silas still resonate. And the importance of apology is crucial, critical to our survival and how we interpret that apology, how we live into the apology. What does it mean to you? What are you called to do? This is the essence of the message that I wanted to carry today. We are also blessed with the presence of our dear father, Bouvet. He has a deep ancestral history in the word, sacrament, and pastoral care, as I said. These are the guiding principles of our work. His ancestor was Henry Bird Steinhauer, who came from Rama and relocated to Thompson, Manitoba, and established our four Methodist missions that became United Church. Those were Goodfish Lake, Saddle Lake, Musquachese, Sampson United, and Morley United. I am from Morley, as you know. I have served at Sampson United, and my father served at Goodfish Lake and Saddle Lake. So we have much to be thankful for with the ancestry of Henry Bird Steinhauer and his descendant, Father Cristino Bouvet from the Archdiocese of Calgary. And he is working on the papal tour. So let us welcome Father Cristino Bouvet and let us hear about how we can work together ecumenically and across the ages in remembrance of the teaching of Scripture. Please welcome Father Bouvet. Good morning, everyone. It's a great honor for me to have been invited uh, to be in your midst today and to share briefly with you some reflections upon my perspective of what reconciliation means and how we can each contribute personally and individually to help bring that about. We talk about Jesus Christ in the Gospel of St. John as the Word who became flesh. This idea of a message from God that was not only meant to be a spoken word, but a word that would become one of us. 
a word that would be transformed into something that we refer to now as the incarnation, something that has taken on flesh, is visible, is tangible. We are also then meant to participate in our words becoming flesh. That there would be an incarnation of the things we think and the words we speak. That they not remain only in our minds and on our lips, but then actually transform our lives. That is how we also can participate in this mystery that as Christians we acknowledge as the Incarnation. And that is the central message of the work of reconciliation. That it would be incarnational. That thoughts, as kind and warm as they may be in our minds, that words like apologies, which can be spoken with great sincerity, do not remain only those things. They must also become flesh. That is how we can move forward, united. I am very humbled and grateful that in God's providence, so many things have converged together in me and with me personally, that I may be so bold as to say that I feel as though I am already living an experience of the incarnation of reconciliation. My indigenous grandmother, to whom I was incredibly close, I affectionately called Kokum, the Cree word for grandmother, is the great-granddaughter of that remarkable man who Reverend John referred to, Henry Bird Steinauer. She was incredibly proud of me to have been ordained as a Catholic priest. She sat in the front row of the cathedral where I will go from here, where I now work, beaming, but then also humbled me at the end of that service to remind me that I'm not the first one to have ordained ministry in our family. And that was possible because of the way that she herself lived and experienced reconciliation. She was 12 years in the residential school. She left her family at age six. Her mother died while she was in school and she was not there to be with her. Her brother died in the adjacent school from scarlet fever and she was not even allowed to be at his burial and funeral. The list goes on and on of the kinds of trauma and tragedy that we could say are experienced in that history. But one thing she would maintain for sure, one thing that the residential school did not impose upon her was her faith in Jesus Christ. That was hers. That was the inheritance of her family, of three generations 
of believing Christians who did not need the interference of institutional systems and governments to make it possible for her to have that faith. It was already hers. And she clung to it throughout her life. And she passed it on to 14 children. My father being the 14th, I should barely exist. I imagine she thought she was done. Perhaps after 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13. I had a very important conversation with her once. Only after I had entered the seminary. And only after it became clearer to me what the implications might be for a residential school survivor to have a grandson potentially becoming a Catholic priest. While she herself had never become a Catholic, that was a decision my father took later in his life when he married my Italian mother. She could not have been more supportive of me. When I asked her if it hurt her or disturbed her that her own grandson might become a Catholic priest, might be associated with part of the institution that brought all of this into being. We were peeling potatoes at the kitchen table. She just dropped her peeler and grabbed my hand and said, My boy, nothing would make me more proud. I've known good nuns and priests, and I know you would be one of those. She already believed in that possibility. That hope has given me hope that we can have a reconciled future. But reconciliation happens in the hearts of individuals. No one speaks for giant groups and says, now they all feel this way. I realize there are many who continue on a wide spectrum of feelings, of reactions, and of hurt that in their own time and in their own way need to be given the space to make their own personal journey of reconciliation. But what we each can bring to that journey is our willingness to patiently be part of it. And that is the honor that I have had in the last five months after having been asked to participate in the planning of the visit of Pope Francis to Canada. I always joke that when they opened up the Rolodex to look through and find priests, under the file of indigenous heritage, residential school surviving grandmother, speaks Italian, they found me. And only me, apparently. That's God's providence, all woven together in a profoundly mysterious way. 
which shows us that he has already paved the way for the outcome that he desires, the outcome that we all desire, if only we humbly and patiently and willingly submit to that. And so that is the intention of prayer that I would bring to each of you and humbly ask you to participate in praying that in each our own way we may help to contribute in small parts and in large parts to a work that is not only beginning now and is surely to last for years and decades and generations to come but a work that if we each willingly participate can bring about a more beautiful fruit than we ever imagined possible. And so it is a message of hope that I hope to bring to you today. And I thank you for your gracious welcome into your community to share that with you. Thanks so much for tuning in to Hillhurst United Church, the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and are thinking about someone who might enjoy it too, we invite you to send it their way and help the podcast grow. We're really glad you're here and we'd love to know what you thought about today's sermon. Leave us a review in iTunes or send us an email at communications at hillhurstunited.com. We'd love to hear from you.